Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I have another question. Here's this is a good one. What fantasy creature would you love to bring into the real world? I think of most fantasy creatures, like the ones that come to mind, all feel like they're awesome, but they'd be super dangerous, like, you know, like a dragon or something like that. Uh, but I think of the ones that I'm like, I would love to go to a zoo and see one of these or like, you know, like it'd be an amazing creature to encounter uh, a griffin. It'd be dangerous, Ooh. but it feels like less like a rampaging beast or like a pegasus, you know, like, but mm-hmm. think of how many people would like want to fly in a pegasus and it would not be a good thing, but still be awesome. But probably the one that I most pick would be a phoenix, like the bird that burns up and then comes back to life. Like that just seems awesome. Like I'd I'd go and like want to see one of those. So and these yeah, are all at the one. zoo. Well, I'm I'm thinking if they're just out there in the wild, I'm probably not going to encounter these things or want to. But if they were at the zoo, oh, like you're like in a controlled space, exactly, where you could go see one, exactly. observe one, yes. but not have one that. get near you. Yes, you, you saw all the Jurassic Park movies, right? <laughs> it doesn't go well. Yeah, putting putting dangerous animals in a zoo like environment does not turn out well for humanity. <laughs> So what, all right. So what do you bring into the world? I thoroughly and enthusiastically reject Clayton's idea. <laughs> it's going to harm humanity. I have a much more gentle and happy idea. I would love for SpongeBob to be walking around. Oh gosh! Of course, if he could be a cartoon <laughs> character, he also wanted to be SpongeBob. I imagine a world. Imagine church like on a Sunday. And SpongeBob is just walking around being SpongeBob in the hallway, in the lobby. No. How is that unsafe? Like not that's also unsafe for no, humanity. It's not. SpongeBob's never done nothing to nobody. Oh okay. What's your answer, Nikki? Mine's Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. Oh. So that would be awesome. The black the black dragon. Yeah, the Night Fury. The Night Fury, yeah. that's right. He is amazing. He is amazing. But dangerous. But dangerous, but he's super kind and gentle. Yeah. Unless, oh, you know... The, those those movies are fun. Yeah. Hey, a question, a blast from the past question. What was that flying thing in the movie, The NeverEnding Story? Like, my, <laughs> I mean the, my memory, like, sees it as, like, a flying, dog dragon. Dog, hairy dog thing. <laughs> what was that thing? And what was it I called? Think, I think it was a, technically a dragon, but I always thought it was a flying dog. Yeah, like, I did too. Yeah, like, you, dragons aren't that cuddly. No. No. But that thing was technically a dragon? I, I believe I, so. Yep. I don't yes. remember. I think so. Yeah. I don't even think I ever wa- fully watched that movie. I just have a memory of oh. some kid. Oh. It's, oh, was I, it a kid I riding this thing? I watch it all the time. Yeah. Atreyu, yeah. right? Atreyu. Yeah. yeah. Atreyu. Well, Atreyu was the character in the story. The right. kid who was reading the story, he got sucked into the story. I can't remember his name. No, I don't remember his but name either. I, that movie. That's impressive it, obscure knowledge it was from like, the both of you. <laughs> it was like a movie that I always wanted to watch, but always gave me nightmares. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, I, uh, I'm i intrigued, but also I'm kind of freaked out by this. Like, the imagery was all bizarre. And... Was the labyrinth also like that oh for you? Oh, my gosh. Well, of course. That no, one la- gave me nightmares. The labyrinth is creepy. Oh, Yeah. The no, lab- in the same David, era, David though. Bowie, and it was like a, yeah, no, that's weird. Yeah, that was in the same era. Okay. Well, that's good. All right, let's move on from this, because if not, we'll have nightmares. So we have some uh, special things coming up. Clayton, you want to 
Let us yeah, in on one? a couple of different things. Uh, the first is this. We've got a, a Bible-savvy workshop coming up on September 21st. We are going to be starting the Old Testament book of Jeremiah in a couple of weeks. And that's one where, like many other Old Testament books, it takes, you know, it's helpful to have a guide, someone to sort of, you know, almost act like at the head of the trail, like, as we head out on this journey, here's what you're going to see. Here's where the twists and turns are. Uh, so we are going to bring in uh, uh, Dr. Graves is his name. Uh, he was uh, one of my Old Testament professors at Wheaton. Um, and he I, I took probably three or four classes from him because I really liked him. He's come in and taught the, the staff before uh, about uh, the Old Testament prophets. So uh, he's going to be coming in on September 21st, and he'll give us an orientation to that. Um, and it should be really helpful because uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time. Jeremiah's a long book, so uh, getting some uh, guide on that would be a, a worthwhile thing to do. Hmm. Eric, how about you? You got one? Yeah, I think on the same night as the Jeremiah workshop, we are also starting Bible 201. So some of you would have to pick which one most applies to you. Ooh, fight. Bible 201 is is has two two purposes, essentially. The first is for participants to not always have to rely on other people to tell them what the Bible means. Uh, and second, uh, that participants are confident and competent studying the scriptures in a group setting. So here's what you need to know about Bible 201. It is a highly interactive workshop. Uh, the workshop explores what the Bible is, guiding principles and interpretive guidelines, and how to effectively use all of the tools that exist in a good study Bible. And this workshop also includes one session on how to develop an effective prayer life and connect it to your Bible reading. So if you're wondering, should I take Bible 201? The answer is maybe, but if you are brand new to Bible reading, like you've never read the Bible, you really don't even know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what the Gospels are, who Paul is, uh, or things like that, you don't want to take Bible 201 yet. What you want to do is wait for Bible 101. That's right. Become familiar with the Bible, then you can take Bible 201. So good stuff coming up here in terms of understanding, enjoying, and applying God's Word. Awesome. All right, Clayton, what are we looking at today? All right, we are going to be in the book of First John. Uh, this is the, our, our you know first week here in uh, the book of First uh, John, and we are going to be in chapter 3. A little context about First John. Uh, as always, if you're trying to figure out a new book of the Bible, going to the Bible Project videos or the Introduction in a Study Bible, those are our kind of you know normal recommendations that would help with this. Uh, the situation in First John, it's a letter that is written to a community, and they have experienced some division. So there are some false teachers in the church, and as a result of the controversy, a group of people left the church community, and John is writing to them to kind of give commentary on the situation. He's trying to reassure the people who are left, like, hey, let me kind of you know, reassure you that you're in the right place, that what you're believing is good, um, to kind of give them some guidance on, say, what do we do when, when people have mistreated us? in this way, uh, and to give them a sense of God's love for them. So um, there's a lot going on in all of that, but that, that's kind of the context of the letter. Some of that may seep through as we look at this passage. All right, let's start in verse 11 here, and we're going to read through verse 24. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. All right, the next step in comma is observation. So let's take a look at some of the details here. What do we see in this passage? The first thing that I see is a lot of repeated words. So we've got love and hate. And what I thought was really interesting is those are words that we very casually throw around these days. Like, I love this. I hate that. Um, But these words hold a much more powerful meaning when we look at the context and how God's using them. And so that really stood out to me. A detail here that's striking to me is the reference to Cain. Uh, Cain is not a, a story that gets referenced a whole lot in the, the Bible, but it's a vivid one, um, the, the story of the first murder. So you've got Cain and Abel, and they both offer sacrifices, and uh, God is pleased with Abel's offering and not with Cain's, and Cain gets jealous. And as a result of kind of losing the, the battle within of struggling about that, uh, he ends up... Um, murdering his brother in jealousy and gets gets banished because of that. So he's kind of like the the first uh, serious situation of that. Um, it's kind of strong to bring up uh, in a letter when you're talking to a church. Um, my, my guess is it hasn't come to actual murder, but he kind of escalates it there by throwing in that, that reference. All right, my first observation is in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Somehow the presence of love in our lives is evidence of God doing something transformational in us. It's one of the markers you would look for. Or do you have the ability to love other people? Well, with that too, right after it says verse 15, anyone who hates a brother and sister is a murderer. Um, and so I thought like, okay, is he using brother or sister to define a Christ follower or just in general, like men and women? Like, is it okay for me to hate somebody who's not a Christ follower? <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I, I thought, now obviously I don't think he's saying that, but some people could, could wander that if he's talking to the church. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? I, I think there, it may be suggesting a little bit of that, that background situation. So if you've got a church that's divided— so there are people who were uh, into some sort of false teaching that ended up leaving the church and in ways that created a lot of division and and perhaps kind of like hurled hate at each other. You know what I mean? Like there, this was not a, this is not just a quiet, you know, they drifted away, but there was some conflict there for John to say to them, Hey, you, you need to know, like the world's going to hate you, right? Like the, the, and, and even the people who are in here who claim to be brothers and sisters, they, they turned around and they treated you this way you need to have some perspective on what that means. Like this is serious business. This is not because they're, because they're questioning. They're saying, okay, 
if if they left this, does this leave us in a place like are we in the right or the wrong? You know what I mean? Are we like are we doing the wrong thing? Their their hearts are unsure. That the kind of references to that, and so for him to say. No, this kind of behavior actually reveals something that was going on inside, and it means they hadn't stepped into life. They they treated you with hate, and honestly, that's not okay. Like, this is really serious business. Yeah, I think the specific answer to your question, Nikki, is yes, brothers and sisters is family language, and so it's specifically talking about the family of God, believers. And, and in fact, it's not even like multiple words. It's one plural word that would talk about all of mm-hmm. your siblings in your family, and in this case, the family of God. So yeah, it's talking about the relationship between other fellow believers, both male and female. I think it's interesting that John, um, you know, having, we just read Matthew over the summer, and when Jesus talks about, um, you know, murder, he says, like, don't murder, but also don't don't hate, don't, don't get angry at your brother. Um, John's echoing that even in this teaching of saying, anyone who hates is a murderer, which is part of the reason why he would bring up the severe thing about Cain, because he's trying to like show even this attitude towards another person is a serious deal. Another observation I have, verse 16, this is how we know what love is that gets my attention. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That feels very lofty. Uh, And then you get to the next verse which in, mm-hmm. in some ways is like the practical every day. Yeah. Okay, if that feels too lofty for you, how about this? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So we, you take the very lofty thought of laying down your life for someone saying, well, how about this? How about just helping people in their time of need? How about that as a, as a starting point for actually being a person of love? Yeah, and then I I think he even takes it a step further, and he says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So I can tell you I love you, but if I don't do anything to show you that I love you in your deepest time of need, do I actually? You know, so I think it makes it even more practical. Yeah. I, I think it's really striking the contrast between Cain and Jesus, because you've got Cain, who kills his brother, and Jesus, who lays down his life for his brother. So there's... There's, it's not even just Jesus loved better. Like he actually did the exact opposite action. He sacrificed himself rather than sacrificing the other person. And, and I even think in some of that, there is something that um, is true about our actions of love and hate, even at a lower level. What we are doing in lots of small interactions is saying, who's it going to cost in this inter- interaction? Is it going to be, am, am I going to make it cost you? And that's the more hateful thing. Or am I going to let it cost me, you know, to resolve this or to make it easier or whatever? Who am I going to put the price on? Who am I going to make pay? Um, and Jesus and Cain are the extreme examples, but we do it in small ways all, all the time. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. The love one another's in today's passage reminds us that life is better done together. So is the comma method. The comma method is great for individual study of the Bible, but where it really shines is in a group setting. You know, kind of like this podcast. So if you're currently in a small group Bible study, what we call community groups here at Christ Community Church, go ahead and give it a try. Pick a passage. See what happens when you try the comma method with your group. Not currently in a group? Grab a group of friends and give it a whirl for a few weeks. See how it goes. And this has been your comma tip of the week. I see another repeated phrase here. Um, It's the phrase, this is how we know. It's in verse 16, it's in verse 19, and then it's in verse 24. 
uh, like John, I, I, it's an interesting way that he's kind of presenting his case. Some of it's his verbal style, but he's also he's doing something to reassure people. He's like, let me give you evidence. Let me tell you the thing to point to. This is how we know. So you can look at it and know if it's true or not. Well, I didn't pick up on that observation, which is why you should do the comma method in groups. Uh, this might take us back to context and might take us on down a rabbit trail. Um, but, you know, we can always edit this out if we want to. <laughs> sure. This is how we know. This is how we know. This is how we know. One of the things that's going on in the first John letter, second John letter, third John letter is there was uh, some theological heresies that were taking people for a ride. Uh, the big word is Gnosticism, which people argue like exactly what was Gnosticism and how did it deviate from Christianity and what did it cause. But on a very basic level, part of Gnosticism was just special knowledge that that people thought that salvation came through some kind of special, spiritual, deep, mystical knowledge. Clayton, do you think that all of this, this is how you know, is reassuring the people who have remained in the Christian community – and didn't leave. That you don't need some special knowledge to, to know. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they, you think that that's what's going uh, on here? It's quite possible. It's, it's one of those ones that people speculate. Um, and and again, like, Gnosticism is a label we put on a whole bunch of different things that, yeah. that, that have a variety. But they do have that thread of there's an inside group that seems to know something that is um, not accessible to any old person. You kind of need to be initiated into it. And there's a there's a decent chance that something like that was going on here. Uh, if they've got the other hallmarks of Gnosticism, uh, just as a, a little aside, Gnosticism tends to uh, look down on the physical, the, the kind of er- earthly, fleshly kind of things. And so one of the things that Gnostic-style Christians uh, would do is they would say Jesus showed up, but he didn't really have a body. So you see that in First John in a few places, saying, "No, you really have to say that Jesus came in the flesh." Like that's really, really important that he did that. Um, so there's some of these things that are in there, and so it wouldn't surprise me if the people who left the community were saying, "We have special information. We know things, and you're just not listening to our insight, or you haven't been initiated." And the people who are left behind are left with some insecurity, saying, "But what if they really did know something we don't know?" And so John saying that makes this a lot of sense. This is how you know. This is yeah. how you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, the the dealing with the incarnation and Jesus' physical body is the very next passage it in, is. in the yes. first John letter. Another observation here, verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is another place in the New Testament that is completely unsatisfying (laughs) for non-believers. When Christians are talking about their Christian experience, when they're talking about salvation or uh, their Christian life, and a non-believer will ask, well, how do you know? And the answer legitimately is, I just know that I know, like in my innermost being. And it is a completely unsatisfying answer for someone that has not had the experience of having the Spirit of God come take residence on the inside. But it shows up multiple times in the New Testament. Yeah. It's interesting that John points to both a kind of a a subjective thing and a more objective or a thing that you can point to. So when he, he talks about people loving their their brother or sister, and in fact, some of what that looks like is a very tangible thing of like, you might help them with finances or something like that, right? He's pointing to that, say, there's outward fruit that you can look at. But another place he points out is he says, there's an inward experience that you have. 
there's other places in the book where he says, there's certain things that if you believe them to say, I believe certain things about Jesus, that all of those things together paint a picture of someone who has moved from death to life, that they're living a certain way externally, they're experiencing something internally, and they have certain beliefs that they they affirm. It's kind of a, you know, they talk about like a three-legged stool, you know what I mean? are all these things there? Like, and then you can feel assured, like, no, this is real. I really have encountered Jesus. And that's some of what John is doing for, for the people there. So another observation I had is more of a question. I feel like a lot of my observations are questions today. Uh, so verse 20, uh, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, it if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive everything we ask because we keep his commands. What what is that about? What um, we're in observations. I, no, I know, but I said like my observations are all good, questions good, today. Yeah. Good questions are good observations. That passage confuses right. me. It, it like I, f- I feel like he's. I don't know what he's saying. Oh man, there, someone help me. There's a lot to untangle there. Yeah, I I think that the it can cut both ways in this conversation. So one would be if your heart is not comfortable in the presence of God. It might be a sign that you truly do not belong to the truth. If you're never comfortable with God, it can also go the other way where it is some, like if you have an overactive, oversensitive conscience where you're always feeling like wondering, there's an insecurity, there's a wondering, am I really living in the truth? Do I really belong to God? God is greater than your overactive conscience. Mm. And he can assure you that you are in fact his and living in the truth. So I think it works in both directions. And that's why I think this paragraph is a little bit confusing. Yeah. There's, there's always a, a, a challenge for uh, any, any pastor or communicator that they're going to say one thing that's for half of the group and the, the half that doesn't need it is going to take it and misapply mm. it. And the half that does need it is going to totally not hear that. And so, um, John is doing both the, Hey, if you're, you know, you're feeling really sensitive or you're, you're, you know, you really ought to think about this. He's trying to hit both of them. And so, so it does get a little bit, John also has a style. Let's be honest. Like, I, I don't know if you can criticize the writing styles of, of authors of scripture, but I'm about to get close. <laughs> uh, at least for me, John has a very meandering kind of style, and it makes it, it gets me muddled sometimes, right? So you read Paul. Sometimes he goes on tangents, but he's always kind of like moving towards a point. There's like, therefore, this, and then that, and then that. John's like, well, you know what? Let me, let's talk about when your hearts are feeling a little insecure before God, and you know, we know that God is bigger, and he loves us, and that's why we can love each other, and you know, that, like, it's, he's like this one This is of another kind of moment where I wish this was a video podcast. <laughs> The, the movements in here oh, are amazing. Yeah, yeah, Clayton's caricature of yep. John, and which, so, by the way, you will meet one day yeah. in the new heavens and true, new earth. So true. watch yourself, Mister. You can discuss true. his writing style with him. I, no, I, you yeah, know John. John likes to contrast things and bounce back and forth between the two, and then circle around them again, and then come at it from a different angle. Yeah, so John can be somewhat complicated to mm-hmm. understand. That's right. Well, you guys' explanation of that was very helpful, so not confusing at all. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Let's move on to one of the M's in comma, which is message. What do you get out of this passage that you can sum up in a sentence? My message is God calls us to active love. 
My message is there is both internal and external evidence we can look to to ask the question, do I belong to the truth? Uh, My message is real love costs real money. So I get that from verse 16 and and 17 where it talks about loving and it says this is how we do it. If someone has uh, material possessions, sees a brother and sister in need, has no pity, how can the love of God be in that person? Mm. All right, let's spend some time in meditation. I'm going to read to you verse 16 and give you about 45 seconds to prayerfully ponder it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. All right, let's talk about the A and comma, which is application. What do you do in response to this? So my application, based on my message, God calls us to active love. Um, I was hitting along the lines of your message, Clayton. Um, I, I looked at the material side of it, but I also went even further, too, to say, is there someone that I know who um, maybe is is struggling uh, with, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, in addition to materially, and it's my it's my job to to discern how is God how has God positioned me to step in, to step in and come alongside of that individual and to meet a need. Um, so yeah, I think that financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, how am I supposed to help the people that I have in my life? Uh, my message is that there is both internal and external evidence you can look to to ask, am I belonging to the truth? And so it's it's interesting, Clayton, as I'm looking at what you pointed out, which is the this is how we know, this is how we know, they're actually a pretty good evaluative tool. So this is how we know what love is, right? And so you ask yourself, have I, in in recent memory, have I inconvenienced myself for the sake of someone else, whether that be my money or my time or providing for some kind of need? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second, this is how we know, this is how we know belong to the truth that we set our hearts at rest and his presence, when I am in God's presence, so like when I am reading the Bible or having a prayer time or I'm at a church service, is my soul at rest? Am I comfortable in God's presence? If I'm not, that might be an indicator that there's something there's something not right. And then uh, the last one is the this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. The spirit that is on the inside of me, What what is he saying to me? And so we, it's, uh, there's some, there's some pretty interesting evaluative tools that first, first John here gives us. Hmm. Uh, my, my message was real love costs real money. And my application is give away some money. I, sometimes we complicate that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, how do I help somebody? How, how do I do something? Um, sometimes just saying, I'm going to pay for something. 
I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for something they need. I'm going to pay a bill. I'm going to give to a, uh, you know, an organization that that's doing something that I think is going to be good. I mean, all of these things, sometimes we just overthink it and it's like, no, if you have material possessions, find a way to bless somebody with it. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.